Welcome to the Break the Bias Global Podcast on Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, featuring women and men from different cultures, experiences and professions coming together on thought-provoking episodes to challenge the narrative. Gain insights and get inspired. Powerful topics right here to help you shatter your glass ceiling. Thanks for tuning in. Now, for today's episode. Welcome to the Women on Boards and Breaking the Glass Ceiling episode. You're here with me, Sonella, and I am so excited to go into this episode where we're going to be talking about women on boards and breaking the bias. And I have with me a very special guest that I featured on this episode, the one and only Julie Lyle. Let me do a quick introduction to Julie. Well, Julie, she's an independent director, NED, board member, director, advisor, investor, entrepreneur. Uh, she has a record of growing sustainable profits for public and private enterprises, including Fortune One private equity startups and turnaround businesses worldwide. She's a hands-on entrepreneur. She's global with multicultural expertise. She's a wonderful, phenomenal uh, expert in her area uh, and you know uh, I was so honored to have her uh, not only featured with uh, you know with us on this episode but also uh, when she joined us as a guest speaker on our one million women in power forum when she joined our stage so I want to tell you very quickly about the one million women initiative in case you're wondering because I've mentioned it now the mission of our initiative one million women in power uh, by Women Empower Global is to empower 1 million women for leadership globally, whether you're in corporate business or STEM. So more about that on the episode description below. So meanwhile, um, you know, today uh, on the episode, we're really going to be focusing on women on boards and breaking the glass ceiling. And I came across an interesting Forbes article that had said the three key questions to ask your leaders. Number one, where and in what roles are women in our talent pipeline? Question number two, how is our organization dealing with unconscious bias? I want you to think about that. Powerful question number three, what policies can we put in place to move our organization towards gender equality? And uh, there was an interesting article that I came across uh, by the World Economic Forum. Uh, it was published sometime back, but very relevant to it today, uh, that went on to say, companies with women on boards perform better. Companies with strong female leadership deliver over 30% higher return on equity. And having said that, it's amazing to think that women make up one half of the world's talent pool and yet we are so underrepresented and this doesn't make good economic or business sense. At the end of the day, gender parity has a fundamental bearing on whether or not you know, the economies, societies will thrive. When we think of sustainable growth, holistic growth, what are we talking about? We're talking about equality, equity, 
and inclusive growth i for one honestly believe that when we have more women on corporate boards the culture of the company changes the narratives get more informed the voices of you know an inclusive environment and organizational environment is going to have voices or diverse voices recognized heard and understood right so for this episode i'm hoping that we could really create more awareness on glass ceiling issues as it relates to women pursuing leadership roles and here Julie's views and experience on how she went about it in spite of the challenges and to hear from her on what she thinks about the narratives uh that are really changing uh for career women today. So first to kick it off on today's episode I want us to think about the glass ceiling. Now when we talk about the glass ceiling when I think about the glass ceiling I see it in ways. I think about the inner glass ceiling as an individual and i think about the systemic challenges the outer glass ceiling the exterior glass ceiling as an organization so what am i talking about when i say the inner glass ceiling i'm talking about uh, the self limiting beliefs i'm talking about how i see myself how i talk to myself uh, you know how often i tend to self sabotage myself what about you know imposter syndrome uh, you know i don't think that i i deserve success I doubt my capabilities. Uh you know, I have certain uh you know, dogmas and childhood bearings and you know, um sort of experiences uh that you know, sort of hold me back. Anything that I do that holds me back is what I would consider as my inner glass ceiling. How I speak to myself, how I view opportunities, how I talk about opportunities, how I view others. how i talk about others as it relates to how i appreciate it in myself you know so when i think about inner glass feelings you know as women as individuals it's it's so interesting because a lot of the conversation and debate we tend to talk about breaking the bias tends to focus on systemic challenges the policy changes and all of that is so so important but what about you know the confidence piece as women what about um you know how we're able to manage and navigate risk in life in business in decision making what about a level of assertiveness what about uh you know when it comes to applying for those promotions or certain jobs what about our fears and insecurities that are holding us That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the glass ceiling. Right. How would you describe the glass ceiling? The listeners today for this uh episode. Um I remember I was recently invited to deliver a keynote address for a Fortune 500 company on imposter syndrome and the aim of the address was to inspire the women in management to step into the next leadership role. And my client was sharing that even though they were putting out these vacancies they found that not enough of women were actually applying for bigger leadership roles now of course this could be contextual there's culture there's cultural context there and you know there could be so many reasons for this but what i'm really interested to 
you know, do in Julie's episode, you know, in a couple of seconds from now, I'm going to be uh, welcoming Julie to the show and you're going to hear from her directly uh, just as I conclude this uh, official introduction to our episode. You know, you're going to be hearing more from her about, you know, her thoughts around this, her thoughts around the end of thing, her thoughts around, uh, you know, how she navigated her way to being such a formidable force uh, and having such a successful leadership career. And uh, truly, she's a, a lovely human being. Um, I had such such a pleasure to get to know her and you know have a chat with her and just really understand more about her heart and just who she is as a human being and a wonderful person. And with that, uh, I'm absolutely honored to officially uh, open up Julie Lyle's interview episode. Enjoy. So there was a there was a a test that was done um, by Hewlett Packard. It was actually an internal report, and I, I believe it was repeated by by one of the leading executive recruiting firms. Uh, and it was quoted in, in Lean In, the Confidence Code book. Um, and it's been quoted many places, but um, men are confident about their ability at 60%, whereas women are only confident and will apply for jobs when they meet 100% of the criteria for the positions. And and I think that speaks largely to how we hold, as women, we often hold back on opportunities and risk-taking until we're extremely confident by external reinforcing factors that we have a chance at the job or at what we perceive as, as being a chance at the job. And, um, and so I think in, to your, what you said so beautifully, the internal glass ceiling, um, we have to challenge that ourselves and be willing to get outside our comfort zone and take greater risks. Uh, I know that I, I, I certainly lived outside my comfort zone in the vast majority of my career. So I know it's imperative to success. And, you know, just listen to what you shared, Julie. I'm also thinking there's a very interesting nuance here when you think about culture and how culture can also influence how as women uh, in the cultural context of things can also be influenced when it comes to risk aversion. Um, I know in the South Asian context, there is a, 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 you know, a, a very interesting nuance there. And then, uh, you know, depending on the upbringing, depending on the cultural narrative, there are just these different nuances that come into play when it comes to, uh, you know, women really pushing themselves out there. Uh, I remember, uh, even in my own life, I can totally relate to what you just said about taking risks and uh, constantly being that huge self-critique, that negative voice in my head saying, man, Sula, you're not good enough, you're not going to be able to do this, uh, you know, it's not, you shouldn't be doing this, uh, let, let a man do that, and you know, that kind of thing. So I had to be very mindful and intentional and intentionally pull myself out of that repetitive loop kind of thinking uh, that kept me in one place and then I had to push through that. So I love that we also covered uh, the piece of uh, on the uh, inner glass ceiling as it were. Julie, my next question to you is um, looking back in hindsight, how important do you think the mindset piece was for you when climbing the ranks, facing the promotions and driving and leading these critical functions uh, in these large companies? Uh, do you think it's like a 80-20 ratio where 80% is more to do with 
on the job competencies and just about 20% of the mindset piece or how would, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Well, um, I don't know. It's, that's a, it's a great question. It's challenging because I don't think I've ever thought of it in terms of percentages, but I would say if I reflect on it, Sanella, for, for my personal journey, uh, competencies certainly were important in the roles that I had because when you have that kind of visibility, the expectations uh, are very high and, uh, and the exposure is very high. So you, you absolutely must deliver. But that said, I think it is always true in leadership roles that mental strength and balance, emotional intelligence and communication skills are every bit as important as technical competence. One, you can hire. Uh, the, the other, you need to be able to inspire and you, you, you can't lead if no one wants to follow. And, and so I would say, and especially for women, one of the challenges that we face, if we're talking about bridging the internal glass ceiling versus the external, one of the challenges that I see really dynamic women face is they build such mental toughness and, and, and a risk-taking personality and a certain communication style that is important to insert themselves into opportunities and conversations and into rooms where they otherwise wouldn't have an invitation necessarily. And once they get in the room, they continue that style that got them there. And I'm sure you've heard of the, of the wonderful book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And once they're in the room, the challenge is how do you back that aggression down? And how do you dial it back and stop, stop working so hard consistently to prove that you belong there once you've already arrived? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I'm curious, really, just um, uh, going deeper into that, could you share with me some of the, uh, you know, tricks and tips and uh, mantras you've had in your own arsenal when you've been in those deep spots of, uh, all right, I'm here now, and, you know, how do I journey to the next level? Oh, sure. I would say the thing that, the, the practice that has served me very, very well and that I share with the, with the women that I mentor, the men I mentor, is choose the hill you're going to die on um, not every battle is worth winning and not every decision is is mission critical and just as whether you're even a, an entry-level manager and you're you have people working for you and looking up to you and taking guidance and direction from you there are times when you need to let them learn their lessons their own way and do things a little bit clunkier than you would do them because you have more experience or because you know you have a process that has proven well for you. You have to let them learn and try things on their own. The same is true even at the boardroom. Not every battle, I don't need to have a voice in every battle. And I'm, I have specific skills and expertise that I bring to the boardroom, but I have specifics, but there are specific skills and expertise required in the boardroom that are not my wheelhouse. And I need to be okay with deferring to my colleagues and respecting their expertise and their judgment and their knowledge and skills. And then when, when it's time for me to contribute in a meaningful way to take a stance on an issue that I think is important, but not to just, have a, not to just be a voice and constantly participate in every 
conversation, every dialogue, everything as though I'm still trying to prove that I belong in the chair, if, if, that, if that's clear. I think that's really powerful insight right there for anybody, especially like that emerging female leader who's aspiring for board positions and leadership because, uh, you know, the assumption could be that, uh, you know, uh, like a conscious bias even to think that, oh, you know, if I'm to fill that role, if I'm to win the admiration from my male colleagues, I need to present myself a certain way. I need to raise my hand every time, leaving it means 24-7. I need to be on my A-cam, bring it on. But what you just shared with us, it's, it's golden advice, really. Uh, and I think that's a, a really important insight taking forward. Thank you for that, Julie. Uh, speaking about your experience sitting on boards uh, where you were the only woman at the table, can you share with us a little bit about that dynamic? Well, and I would say nearly every board. Now, I had a very, I had an advantage, Sonella, because during my career in the positions that I had, I was in many cases an executive director on the board. So I was a, a paid executive that um, was uh, considered an executive member of the board of directors, or and if not that, I was certainly participating in many board meetings. So I had a lot of exposure before I became a non-executive director. Um, to the dynamics and expectations of board members and trustees. Um, and, but I would say that in the vast majority of my career, I was either the only woman in the executive committee rooms or board rooms. Uh, there, in some cases, there was one other. But, um, and, and, and how did that affect me? I think some of the greatest advice that I ever received. I've been very blessed to have phenomenal coaches and mentors, but some of the greatest advice I ever received was actually, and it, it was inspiration from someone that I just watched and, and, and admired so much. And what I decided early in my career was not only did I want to focus on what I wanted to accomplish or you know what role I wanted to have and achieve, but I it was important to me to, to decide how I wanted to accomplish it and how I wanted to be. And so I would not only look at people in their titles and their authority and their income and, and aspire to that, but I would really look at the people in the room that were admired because they didn't have personal agendas, because when they spoke, they, they again, they chose the hill to die on. They chose which battle and when to engage. Um, because they were thoughtful and truly objective and when they spoke they carried such leverage because because everyone in the room knew that that they they weren't driving an individual agenda they were truly making a decision or offering a perspective that they believed at their core was in the best interest of the organization as a whole and I think so often this is true of men and women we don't think we think about who we want to be or which office we want to have or which title we want to have but we don't think about how we want to lead and how we want to be and how we want to show up and i think that can make such a difference when you decide i don't want to necessarily be the loudest in the room and i don't want to come across as aggressive and as a bully i also don't want to be a wallflower and I don't want to be meek and intimidated and come across as afraid to engage. But I, what I, when I get to that chair, and I always thought this, when I get to that chair six months after I'm in that seat, what do I want people to say? And I want them to look back and say, wow, I wish we had her there sooner. 
and then and then I would build back from that. So what will my what should my behavior be and my contributions be to achieve that outcome? And that would be the best advice I could give to anyone. And that's what helped me navigate when I was the only lady in the room. Love that, Julie. I also sort of, um, you know, expanded um, uh, context. I'm also hearing things like the the value of bringing to the table the relational side of leadership, whether it is a man or a woman, uh, you know, gracefully and tactfully managing and, uh, uh, you know, uh, overcoming the relational uh, hurdles uh, and the interpersonal dimension of leadership and connecting with people. I remember this um, article I came across once uh, that said that when people, when, when leadership, when a CEO is appointed, uh, they usually recruit and look for people who have experience, uh, yes, but moreover, team management skills. How is this CEO communicating and relating to the team? How good is he or she with people? And throughout your answers, I kind of get that sense from you that you are a people person, uh, Julie, and you navigate that dimension really well. And I'm thinking, you know, even in my own leadership career, uh, I've been in C-level for about five years now, and I'm thinking, um, you know, running my own companies as well, um, looking back, uh, you know, being able to, uh, you know, uh, interact with different types of people and, and something you said about inspirational leadership and, you know, having something that also the ability to win acceptance from people, understanding that. Um, you know, it's, it, it plays a really big role in how the organization absorbs you and how you adapt to the organization as well. But I also want to talk about something, um, some might say a little controversial, but it's a very important question because in a lot of my coaching programs, uh, this is an area that keeps coming up and that's to do with dealing with corporate politics. Uh, you know, personally, I've also worked in management in a Fortune 100 company and Corporate politics is something that, uh, you know, you, you can't uh, <laughs> avoid it. Uh, it's really about um, understanding how to navigate uh, and, and, and get along with people, uh, you know, because you have compliance and now we're moving more into management and management styles. Uh, so what would you say are the top three attributes that women, I'm bringing that nuance in here, that women need to be cognizant about in order to navigate corporate politics effectively? Hmm, that's a great, that's, uh, I would say, well, first let me say this. Um, I, in, in order, whether it's male or female, when you're navigating a very, um, very different corporate culture, uh, challenging corporate culture, thing to remember I believe is that trust and respect are the two things that you acquire by giving them away and I and and so I believe that understanding how if, if I have to say three things understanding the first one would be understanding the balance between respect or deference versus being meek and there's a very big difference but recognizing authentically uh, other people's strengths and contributions 
and giving them a floor, being comfortable, giving them the floor to shine and the opportunity to shine and recognizing their accomplishments without feeling threatened is, is one big requirement. The second thing is listening skills and truly asking more questions than you answer. Um, not having to, when you feel like you have to be the smartest person in the room, that's your baggage, that's not theirs. And really understanding that you're going to hold yourself back as long as you continue to try to prove yourself because your works will ultimately speak for themselves. And then the last thing is in corporate politics, the more political or the more, I would say, dysfunctionally political an environment is, the more authentic and consistent the individual needs to be. And people, people will see through a facade quickly and there's less and less tolerance for it the more dysfunctional the culture. So being authentic and consistent are imperative in those kinds of environments. So those would be my top three, Sanan. Consistency, authenticity. I also love how you said, asking more questions than you answer. I really appreciate that. Um, moving on, I'm also curious to hear from you. Uh, one of the things, as you know, I'm, I specialize in leadership as a kid, DEI and innovation. I have a very strong background in a company that runs uh, global consulting business uh, on innovation skills. And I love to incorporate that into the coaching side of things as well, because end of the day, a company is, inno is innovating or they're obsolete vis-a-vis -vis, even when it comes to uh, looking at ways to um, uh, pitch to large companies the necessity for having gender representation at board positions one needs to look at it from a very creative, innovative lens. Now, what I'm curious to hear from you is what would you say is would be a strong business case for uh, an organization to focus on gender diversity at the board level? And I say, and, and I'm bringing this point out is because there are leaders I speak to who still look at DEI and they look at it more from a symbolic point of view and not so much from a systemic point of view, if that makes sense. And here I am, uh, you know, telling them with, with a drum beat that's on repeat button saying, hey, it's not a charity speech. You really do need to see more women there because it really does, uh, you know, pay off to your bottom line and your top line. So Julie, what are your thoughts uh, on the business case focusing on gender diversity at the board level? Well, I, I'm my experience has been that the one of the, you know probably the most compelling argument for having diversity at the board level is that the board if the board is truly uh, responsible for representing the best interests of all stakeholders and in today's world the boards are not uh, focused only on investor interests they are certainly uh, obligated to drive a creative value for a business, but but they are focused on all stakeholder interests and representing and protecting them. And if you believe that is the responsibility of the board, then the, then the diversity of thought that reflects your employee base, your vendor base, your customer base is an imperative. And it's also the reason why those boards that have greater diversity are more profitable and, and more successful because they have 
the point of view of what is valued or not by customers, partners, and employees. And you, it's, those are essential insights to being able to drive decision-making that makes you a place, a desirable place to work, uh, a desirable brand to be trusted, loved, and loyal to, and a desirable partner to want to do business with and explore growth opportunities with. And so it's, it's really not, it's really almost common sense. We just need to make common sense common practice. I like that. I, I love saying that to make common sense a common practice. Judy, why isn't common sense that com uncommon now? <laughs> Did I get that tongue twister right? Common sense is not that common uh, as much as we'd like. Well, um, I, I really do think some of it, Sanella, is is innocence and is innocent and awareness, right? I mean, we we're as human beings, we naturally. Um, surround ourselves with people who think like us, talk like us, look like us, act like us. It's 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 natural that we congregate that way, and and we because of the decades of men having these dominant positions. If you were to line up a hundred resumes, fifty for men, fifty for women, the likelihood that the men's resumes would tick more boxes in terms of experience, in terms of having held the title before, having been in that category, having the networks, resources, etc., is high, right? They're, they're going to tick more boxes than the female than the female resumes, likely, right? That's changing, but it's, it's going to be a slow change. And so we're still at the point where, in many cases, inviting women or, or uh, diverse candidates to participate in board or leadership roles, in many cases, it's still a conscious decision. Um, I I live for the day when it when it's an un unconscious decision when it just happens, but we're not there yet. Julie, you represent many years of working with large corporations, and you have a wealth of insights and first-hand knowledge on building leadership programs uh, and pipe, uh, you know, to really open the door to uh, establishing a strong talent pipeline in uh, an organization. So uh, in that respect, what would you say is a really good leadership building program uh, for a company that wants to build a strong female leadership talent pool for succession? Could you break it down for us? Well, I'm a strong believer in mentorship programs, um, both, uh, and I, I think for women, uh, both having female mentors as well as male mentors uh, is, is very important because of the time of my career and because I've, I've been around a while. <laughs> um, there, at the time I was growing my career, there really weren't a lot of female mentors, and, I, and, and candidly. Um, I was climbing the corporate ranks or the corporate ladder at a time when women didn't help women. They, in fact, they competed aggressively against each other, and uh, much, much to my disappointment. But there were so few of us, and and we were so busy trying to act like the men and be aggressive with each other. I mean, I hope I didn't, but but it did happen that that there weren't a lot of female coaches slash mentors for me to have. So most of my mentors and coaches were men. And I, I feel personally, for me at least, it turned out just fine. So I don't, 
believe it has to be a female mentor, but I believe coaching and mentorship programs are, when they're focused and they're very intentional on both parts, the mentor and the mentee, I think they can be incredibly powerful. And that's so true because looking at my own experience with mentors, I mean, I can think of off the cuff just like some amazing male mentors who are friends, uh, colleagues, peer mentors, and also people that I look up to and admire. Uh, you know, so it's really interesting when it comes to mentorship, it doesn't have to be, you know, that whole gender dynamic there. Of course, if you, you know, if, if one is a female, uh, leader or, or emerging leader in middle management and looking to learn about blind spots and you know how to succeed in a leadership career uh, with a deeper focus in the whole uh, you know women woman-centered side of things yes of course go ahead and find a female mentor but i love that you shared Julie. you know you know it's, it's nice to have an open mindset there and going with that objective focus on hey what can i learn from this individual and how can i uh, what value can that individual add to my to my journey and leadership trajectory i totally agree with that um and you also did mention that you've been around for a while well truly looking at your profile you do not look uh, a day past 30 uh, <laughs> by looking at oh, your so LinkedIn kind. bio <laughs> but your LinkedIn bio would showcase otherwise so uh, you know one might wonder Julie how old are you you're just not a day past 30 I tell you <laughs> so <laughs> well I mean, I'm significantly past 30 unfortunately but I but they were all it's I think of it like even my wrinkles I most of my wrinkles I learned from laughing at myself I earned from laughing at myself along the way so I I cherish those as well I love that. I love that. Uh, and in closing, Julie, would you have any advice, some practical tips that you'd like to leave the global audience listening in today for women seeking directorship positions? Well, sure. Um, so first of all, you, it's important to understand that directorships are, are not um, on the job training roles. There are requirements and expectations of governance, procedures of risk management, of even just rules of order, uh, terms of engagement, uh, legal ramifications. There are requirements and expectations of board members that you must meet before, before you take a board seat. <clears throat> and so there, there are a number of organizations that uh, offer courses and certifications. I'm not sure if the certification is essential but certainly the learnings uh, being, being parts of those networks and, um, and learning those programs and keeping your skills sharp is very, very important because corporate governance is an animal into itself. Um, and then work your networks. Be sure people understand not only that you want to sit on boards, but what you are doing to prepare yourself to have the skills and, and the readiness to be a valued board member should that opportunity present itself and um, those that would be my practical tips love it absolutely love it and in closing i want to close with this quote i came across teach your daughters to worry less about fitting into the glass slippers and more about shattering the glass <laughs> Julie, it's been an absolute joy to have you 
today and I look forward to having you back on the One Million Women in Public Stage as well. And uh, more power to you, upward and onward, Julie, and we'll be in touch. Thanks for Thank coming so on board today. Thank you. This podcast was initiated by Women Empowered Global, a global organization that empowers women through education, career advancement, and entrepreneurial programs with a network region over 40 countries across six continents. To learn more, visit www.womenempoweredglobal.com. See you on the next episode.